Sherry D. Piano from Fem Pharma Consumer Healthcare and the Love Me Evita podcast. But today we are doing a webinar and we are very happy to have all of our guests and participants join us. Today's guest is Dr. Juliana Hauser, who is a sexpert. Dr. Juliana leads conversations about relationships, agencies, sexuality, intimacy, and so much more. She is an expert in intimacy, but she's also a professional, and she makes this conversation a lot of fun. Professionally, Dr. Juliana received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William & Mary. She's considered a thought leader and a, a sexpert, as indicated previously. She dives deep into the hard-to-have conversations that we all need to be having. She spent decades counseling and supporting thousands of individuals and partners on their paths to discover their sexual agency, relationship intimacy, and fulfilling sexual connection. The jewel of Dr. Juliana's offering is something called the Revealed Course. So you ought to check it out. She also certifies others to facilitate the same course in eight countries. At the end of this webinar, I would encourage you to check out drjuliana.com and learn more about her and the ways in which she might work with you or the ways in which you might learn more from her to become your own sexpert. Dr. Juliana, welcome to the Fem Pharma Love Mia Vita webinar. And today we are going to talk about a unifying topic. So we're going to take a break from the midterm election results, oh my, and discuss <laughs> the unifying topic of sex and better relationships through better communication using something called sex positivity. I'm so happy to be here and having this conversation with you today. Likewise. So Juliana and I have had many conversations. She's a regular guest on the Love Me Avita podcast. If you haven't listened to it, check her out on our Love Me Avita podcast. We talk about a lot of, a lot of sex. There's a lot of <laughs> going on. And we do delve into some of the more thorny topics, if you will, about sex, sexuality, how to improve sex, um, how to feel more comfortable with sex. But today, talking about sex positivity, I guess I, I thought about sex as being positive, but perhaps that's coming from my own bias as opposed to being sex negative. So for those that haven't heard about sex positivity, what mm -hmm. is it? So I'll start with um, a lot of us when we if we were given any kind of sex education, it was not based in sex positivity. So our education was fear based. It was all the things that could go wrong or bad, uh, and it was not pleasure focused. So that's what sex positivity isn't, and that's a lot of us uh, were given that. And if we were lucky, we had people who were sex positive in our lives, or we had access to sex positive literature uh, through books or conversations. Um, and basically, like what what we're talking about is that the belief that people should have the space and access to um, and with judgment free and without shame, like learning about what their sexuality is, 
all of it. And for me, when I talk about sexuality, it is a holistic lens that we're looking at sex positivity and in, in, in a sexual uh, definition. Um, it's also that you um, you believe in pleasure, that you believe in consent, you believe that sexuality is healthy and it is normal and it is something that we should be curious about. And I add to to like the, that definition. Um, it's something that should be a priority in your life. It's something that um, isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. That's that's sex positivity to me. You know, it's, I remember it at the age of 16, I don't want any of my family members to listen to this, thinking that this was really, that sex was definitely a priority. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting that um, over time, some of our cultural biases, some of our um, ethnic biases, some of the religious biases enter the picture and kind of change that for us. And that's where at least my understanding of the whole sex negativity comes into play because we are, we are creatures of evolution from our own families and from our churches and synagogues and temples and so forth. And it's not that they aren't well-meaning, but a lot of this becomes a morality play. And that those sorts of messages remain with us. And then sex may feel dirty or uncomfortable or somehow only for procreation. So is that is is sex nev negativity really all of those things kind of wrapped up in one or are there other things that play into sex negativity that we ought to be wary of so when we do our own our inventory if you will are there things that we ought to be self have self-awareness of mm -hmm. uh, there are three things um, that i think are common when, when there's a sex negative space one is there is judgment which means there's a right and a wrong of sexuality uh, again, under the umbrella of, of holistic sexuality, but it is, I know the right way to have a sex life, to have your sexuality, and, and your way is not it. Uh, that is incorrect. And so a judgment, right and wrong. Another is that um, shame. If there is shame uh, present, then there has been sex negativity in there. Um, and some of that is inherent in our culture. Some of it is we haven't done a great job of helping people heal from things that have happened to them. Or, um, and I'm not even talking about like the bigger aspects of sexual violence, but actually I'm talking about the more insidious things that happen that it's a comment that's made here and there. It's a, a negative experience that you've had that you make meaning of. It's it's a media message that you saw that feels related to you or personal to you. It is the overhearing those conversations that um, don't match what you think you know of yourself in a sexual place. The other thing is the absence of sexual agency. So the absence um, of having the ability to decide what your sexuality is on your own terms, um, to know what you need and what you want, to know what your expression is and your access um, to all of that. You know, <clears throat> folks that may be listening to this webinar, uh, watching the two of us probably thinking, okay, well, there's a silver sister there. And then there's this young woman, Dr. Juliana, and <clears throat> the silver sister, I would recommend probably 
remembers the whole um, sexual liberation movement. I was a little young to be sexually liberated when the sexual liberation movement came to be, but I certainly remember free love, um, you know, love the one you're with. Um, it, how is that different from sex positivity? Because at least at that point, it appeared from someone who was pretty young looking in, and then as I matured, it, it appeared that we were talking about comfort with sexuality and comfort with having sex. And because of the advent of contraception, women felt safer expressing themselves sexually with their partners. Yeah, it's a great question because I, I think it's not necessarily either or. I think it's more of a both and in a way, but there are some differences when you're really looking at sexual liberation. It's a, it's a state of mind. It's a philosophy. It is, frankly, it was an era also that believed in um, removing uh, anything that was inhibiting access to sexuality. Uh, and to me, it was a, a really uh, a, a pervasive entry point to sexual agency of like, so what do you want? Uh, and that was really one of the first questions that, that times that you really saw a whole generation asking that. So that's wonderful. So there's the sex positivity that's coming into it. I, I think what, when I've talked to those who were really sexually active during this, this phase of our, of our uh, country, in particular, there was also a lack of agency too that could was a part of, part of it. There was a lack of like purpose and intention. And sex positivity has purpose and intention as a part of it. Sexual liberation, uh, in general, kind of was described more as like the more the better, the variety the better. You do you, all that kind of stuff, and in trying and experimenting. And I think there's a lot that's great about that, um, but not when there's an absence of purpose and intention of what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to. Um, I've never ever equated sexual activity or the number or what you're doing um, with positive or negative. It is all about uh, were you authentically asking yourself and did you have space to say yes or no freely? Either space that you gave yourself or space that your partner, partners, um, or an era was given you. And, and you, you said something about partner and partners. And for those that don't have a partner that may not, they may be abstaining from intercourse, not because they necessarily want to, but because it's just a fact of life at this particular phase of life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they lack sex positivity. They can still be have sex positivity, even if they are not in a relationship with someone other than themselves. Mm -hmm. Which is the most important relationship to have. Your most important sexual partner is you. And you know it's interesting. So I, uh, uh, Betty Dotson, uh, uh, who passed away two years ago, recently actually her, her anniversary death, death date was a couple um, days ago. Um, she was really a pioneer of self pleasure, and she was she died at ninety one, and was really in the liberation movement, and was in the feminist movement, and found in that too. She she was she'll say that she was described as the the sexual pioneer of self pleasure. And uh, even back then, like in the 70s, it was very different to have someone saying the most liberating thing you can do is have self-pleasure and be your own sex advocate. And she was well ahead of the curve 
um, and you know was shunned from a lot of people because of that and now it's so beautiful um that we can we can own that and understand that it's a way to know your body it's a way to have agency and um it's just the most important sex positive relationship you can have and you know we when we start making judgments about those kinds of things so as you know as some folks may remember uh there was the uh the, the conversation about going blind if one masturbated. Um, I, Harry I, Palms was another one. Yes, I, I you know, I recall hearing uh, folks, mostly younger friends of mine, describe what might happen about going blind or, you know, getting the Harry Palm or being denied pleasure at some further point in life. And those are the, the kinds of cultural biases that sort of remain with us that um, that may help us um, in some ways to think about how to overcome that sexual negativity. Once we know that that's where this emanated from, mm -hmm. then we have the opportunity to do something about it, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know that, that none of that happens. Um, I don't know that there's been one documented case. Um, but when we have those cultural, religious, or other influences that may have predisposed us to sexual negativity, it really is important for us to take that kind of inventory. Remember, these were just myths. These were fairy tales. And we have to find ways to dispel those. Mm -hmm. and, and then it comes down to couples, right? So let's say you found your person, um, you, you figured out how to have self-pleasure and you are in a different place perhaps than the person that you're partnering with. So what happens when couples work on sex positivity and perhaps they are coming at it from very different places? Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to go back to the to the first point you're making of uh, just the myth that came to be uh, to control, especially children um, or young adults into not having sexual pleasure. Uh, and that carries forth a little bit into the couples too that I work with as well. Like we have a lot of messages. It is impossible to get to adulthood without hearing or being exposed to messages about self-pleasure just in general. Um, and it's interesting, like what so interesting to me is why was that something that needed to be controlled? What was so scary about something that's natural and something that they've seen even like in utero that uh, they have had infants that are that are touching themselves um, and and experiencing pleasure or they or they it looks like they're experiencing pleasure. Why are we why are we so afraid of it? What what do they think the consequences are going to be to it? And, and I'm asked that question quite a bit too, and even in the context of couples. Which is, is it, does it stoke the fire to health self pleasure? Um, or does it take away sexual energy, especially if you do have someone that is that you're partnered with? Uh, wh which is it? And, and I'm not sure why it has to be both. Uh, why, you know, why it can't be both? Why does it have to be one or the other? Um, but my belief of, of self pleasure, whether it's children or young adults, um, is that it is, um, it's a really crucial part of getting to know your body and it's a really crucial thing to remove those negative messages. Um, I think it's one of the the most common and one of the first messages about sexuality that people see and experience, which is this is bad. 
So if you have a natural urge or you've discovered something about your body feels good and then you are told something bad can happen or you were bad for doing it, um, it seeps into so much of your body, your cells, and frankly, your newer pathways. Um, so I have this exercise that I do and we, of course, um, we start with sexual pleasure and self-pleasure. Um, I do this if you're an individual um, or if you're partnered and I, I call it decluttering. So it's similar that you would do to like a closet and we go through a list of sexual sexual messages. Uh, we start with the ne negative ones. Like, what did you what did you receive about this? Um, what are you holding on to? What are the things that you've seen get away between what you want um, in your sexual relationship and what you have? Um, and sometimes there's a variety of things or something unique to your particular sexual journey. But in in general, it's about your body. It's about your genitals. It's about self pleasure. It's about when is the good time, the right time to be sexually active. Um, what is uh, losing your virginity versus having a sexual debut? Like, so we look at all the messages that you got. Um, and we look at where did they come from? Media, religion, family of origin, friend base, uh, that one movie reel you had in health class. What were the things of that, that doctor that said something to you? Where were, where were the sources of all these sexual messages? And then we look at it and there's, I put them into three categories or the person puts it into three categories, which is you're going to keep them you are going to tweak them and you're going to trash them. So where do those sex, sexual messages go? And, and how you make the decision is when the context of what do I want my sex positive life to be now and moving forward? And we go through once, especially when we figure out the ones that we're going to trash, we actively trash them. We actively say this no longer, this isn't, this isn't my belief system. This is not my values. And this is not going to serve the relationship I want with my sexuality now or moving forward. Um, for those that we keep, that's an easy category also. And we used, we herald it and we say like, do you want to know more information about this? Um, or have more of a community of support around them for the category that's tweaking that takes more time. And so what about this doesn't fit what there may be something that feels right, but not all of it. What do we need to tweak in order it to feel like something you want to carry forward into your sexual life and that feels sex positive on your terms. Or so it to me a, a non psychologist. Um, it sounds like those individuals that are coming to you have already made the decision that sex positivity and better communication is already super important or they wouldn't spend the, the time. They're making an investment. They're taking time. They want to work with, with a professional. But I'm sure there are folks that are listening here and watching and they're saying to themselves, yes, but I'm not sure instead of yes and, it's yes, but, right? Mm -hmm. So shutting things down. I'm not sure I'm ready for this, but I need to have better communication and I, I need to find ways in which to work on this with my partner. What can what can someone do just from the you know their home base without the benefit of using someone with your skill set? Are there some techniques that can help with that communication with your partner? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I would say like in that category that you're speaking of, I typically hear my marriage or my relationship is going to end if we don't fix this. Like, and there'll usually be like a time for we haven't had sex in this length of time or my partner has had it 
and or I've had it and like it's not necessarily that they're wanting to be sex positive they're they're wanting they're they're nervous that this is the canary in the mind or they've had it and the other thing is is that uh, or like I feel broken and I don't think it should feel this way so what do I do and and I'm not sure that is an obvious link to sexual sex positivity too but but I hear it quite a bit so what do you do on your own um, I think that exercise is something that you can do on your own also uh, that you can just start examining and looking at it. One of the things that is such a, a, a problem in the ripple effect of a lack of sex education that's based in pleasure and based in sex positivity is that we don't have the language for it. We don't have the language for these things um, and how to have these conversations and we don't have the questions to ask. Like, how do you know what you don't know? And where do we get those questions and and how do we start feeling comfortable with having those uh, those words come out of our mouth uh, or out for someone else to witness. And so it is checking in with sexual values, um, checking in with uh, what what your journey was. Um, I think one of the one of the best things you can do on your own is really understanding in your childhood, like up until like through like your high school age what did you learn uh positive negative good bad um about anything that has to do with a sexual life so about sensuality about your body about health and reproduction and just start putting words to it imperfectly and looking at what your comfort level is with that i think that's one exercise that you can do on your own another is one that you and i have spoken about before um, that is a way to look at what you want and don't want and I find it to be one of the best first acts of agency of like knowing what you need and what you want in your own terms. Um, but a lot of a lot of people walk into adulthood or well into their adulthood and, and don't know particularly how to answer is this a yes or a no for me. And the way that you go about this is a very simple exercise to put into place, not necessarily simple to follow through with um, is you get a long list of sex acts it's really easy to Google that. Um, uh, on uh, on the internet, and you put uh, two lines on a piece of paper. One that's one that's vertical, and one that's horizontal. And you have four quadrants. One is sex acts that you've done that you um, uh, want to do again. Sex act. The second one is sex acts that you've done that you don't think you want to do again. Third is sex acts you haven't done that you don't want to do again. Um, and the fourth is sex acts that you haven't done that you think you want to try. And what, what to me, why that exercise, you can do it alone um, and without professional help is, is a wonderful beginning ground because it's not necessarily what you answer, because I think that actually is a place that is really helpful for a professional to come in, but it's the process of determining this is a yes or a no. And what is that like for you? And really it's, like a, it's a diagnostic of how comfortable are you with saying yes or no in your life and knowing what you need and want. Um, and I think that is a very valuable place to like do, to, to assess yourself. Um, and then you can bring that if you ever wanted to invite a professional into the conversation. And both exercises you can do solo or if you're partnered. The, those are really great pieces of advice. And I'm not sure that we do that often enough, right? So what makes me feel comfortable may not be the same thing that makes my partner feel comfortable. And knowing that, can make it difficult to want to be sex have sex positivity because we if one of us is shy about doing something or uncomfortable or feels that it's coercive 
then that's not okay. And I know that at least it's one of the components of um, having sexual positivity or sex positivity is that this has to be non-coercive. So both parties need, need to feel super comfortable with this um, and not judge the other party if one, one member um, is not completely comfortable. It may be that that's not going to happen. And that is something that is excluded from your repertoire of, of sex acts, right? But um, but we we need to do that inventory, if I'm understanding you correctly. This is something you can do without necessarily having the benefit of someone like yourself who is a professional. What, what are your thoughts about, I, I'm a big believer in reading about anything. So research, research. I love it about you. You're a great researcher. Research is, is uh, what I do. And research is where I go when I want to solve problems. And it's looking to whether it is the scientific literature or whether it's a great textbook, or I know it sounds pretty dry in terms of reading material, but there, there are some, there's some good resources for individuals um, who may not want to or, can, or can't afford to engage a psychologist. Are there some things that you can recommend in terms of reading, self-help, some, you know, some literature that you could point our listeners and viewers to? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and some of that depends on really where, where you land on the continuum of sexuality. So it, I, I would get very clear about where you, uh, where your, um, where, what you know about yourself and your identity, what you know about yourself, about what uh, feels right um, and your expression uh, to sexuality. But I, I we're so fortunate that we are living in an era where there's a lot of articles, there's a lot of things online that you can look at in the privacy of your own home or phone and put a topic in and there'll be a plethora of places in which to do so. Um, and there are also, um, like there are like versions of like Netflix, but there's sex education platforms out there as well that then you have you you pay for a membership, a monthly membership, and then you can get access to information um, about it. And I can give you links to the ones that I recommend and that I've had my own experience with none of it that I'm affiliated with um, professionally like paid for wise, but ones that I that I recommend to people that I work with. Um, and and go from there. Um, I I also like to encourage people to find journalists who are writing about. So if you find one article that that really hits you, that is really interesting to you, um, follow that journalist and look for other articles that that person is writing. I think that makes a big difference too, and that you can learn more in, in that aspect. Uh, and then there's there's often still even though. Facebook for some ages is not very vibrant. There's still a lot of groups out there and there could be like a group chat that you find on just a general Google search or uh, within Facebook, you can put the topic that you're interested in knowing more about and there will invariably be a group that that is open to it and finding things out about it. The um, I'll put in a plug for an app uh, and we we actually know the um, the CEO. Uh, we're happy to support other women-owned businesses and especially women-owned businesses like Get Rosy, uh, the Get Rosy app. Um, so that would be another resource that women may want to consider. And uh, again, we're very supportive of the, the sort of work that they do. It's very good work. Um, their CEO is actually a very strong woman leader, physician. So I'll put in a plug for Get Rosy, the Get Rosy app. 
R-O-S-Y. Uh, oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's uh, totally fine. But there are there are definitely journalists that we have followed here at Fem Pharma. Uh, we do our own blog, as you know, and so you may find some articles on our blog. Listen to our podcast. Dr. Juliana, as I said, is um, a featured guest. Uh, we work with Juliana extensively. We continue to find her extremely knowledgeable, helpful and very comfortable. So if you want to learn more about her, you can certainly listen to our other podcasts featuring Dr. Juliana. We I offer a, let me put a plug in too, like for, for two in particular, since since you did too. Um, OMG, yes, is an organization that's associated with the Kinsey Institute. It is more focused on those who have vulvas, um, but it is done very, very well. So if you have a vulva or you have a sexual connection with someone who has a vulva, it is done very well. And the Kinsey Institute is something that is really, it's an institute that's highly um, uh viewed um, in this in scientific research uh, for sexuality issues. Um, I also like an organization called the uh, now it's called Hello Revel. Do you know them? They were the Wolfers. Uh, and um, I Anita Collins is the person who began it. And it's a really robust community. They've just bought out by Hello Revel and they have an app um, and they have a robust um, uh, articles too and, and a website and they are they are focused on those who are over 40, but there's a lot of emphasis on uh, diversity of sexuality. And, um, and so I found there to be a lot of good experts there, a lot of people who are speaking about it. They even have like every Monday night, there is a topic that's related to sexuality that they're speaking to that you can be a part of if you're in their community. And there's lots of places like that too. I'm glad that you brought up diversity and sexuality and diversity in general, because that's a, that's a key component of sex positivity. We talk about the no judgment zone. We talk about no judgment in terms of sexual diversity, in terms of sexual diversity in terms of proclivities. So different sex acts that are pleasurable to one person should not be judged as being kinky or weird or somehow strange or abnormal. And that's part of the non-judgmental, the, the breadth of sexual diversity. And until we, until we ex have that acceptance, a non-judgmental point of view, it makes it really hard to really mm -hmm. fully embrace sex positivity. Because that goes back to uh, there is the air of I'm right, you're wrong, or that there is a right sexuality and a wrong sexuality. And if your partner kind of going back to the thought of like how couples deal with this is I often think it's an absolute miracle that people can get sexually connected and stay sexually connected and be happy about it because our society doesn't support that. And, and it's really important that when, if you want to be in a relationship that is supportive and sex positive for your sexuality, then you have to also be somebody who is supportive and safe for your partner or partners to be um, who they are sexually towards you too. And that isn't always easy. And that doesn't mean you say yes and accept absolutely everything that you want to do just because your partner or partners want to do it, it means that you don't judge them and you don't shame them. And, and my favorite, there's two favorite noises that I have. One is the sound of pleasure. And the second is, huh, like just the way that like being curious um, about 
any kind of differences or anything that feels new to you makes such a big difference of not shutting down somebody. And it's one of the most harmful things you can do to a partner or a friend, a family member, a child is to, they, if they've making the risk to tell you something that's opened up about who they are sexually to you and you shame or judge them, um, you've done an incredible amount of harm. And I consider that part of sexual violence. Yeah, it, 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 I agree with that point of view. It is tantamount to a form of sexual violence because you've shamed them, you've made them feel as though they are less of a human being because they feel a certain way or because they they have a certain proclivity or experience sex differently, different mm -hmm. types of practices. So I, I totally agree with that. And that brings me to the two topics. One is going to be more of a contentious topic, which is sex education. And we've had this conversation in the past. <laughs> I, have, I have feelings. So the, so the one topic is raising and I'll say young adults, because when I say children, there may be some folks listening in that would be offended because what is the right age? And mm -hmm. I think that, that there's a question mark. What I believe may not be, and what you believe may be different. So I don't want to offend anyone. Mm -hmm. However, we do need to think about how we educate generations of young men and women who identify as men and women and others, right? Um, as to sex positivity, to create generations of, of human beings that are sex positive. And then the other topic is around counseling. So we talked about those individuals that may not have the luxury of seeing someone like yourself, but for those that do and want to pursue this type of counseling, it's really finding somebody that you feel comfortable with, because let's face it, even though you are a psychologist, you may not be a psychologist that understands sex positivity mm -hmm. because you come with your own biases. So how do we, so we'll start with that one since it's less thorny, if you will. Um, how do you find someone that matches up with what you are seeking in terms of improving your communication, especially as it pertains to sex positivity? Are, are there some recommendations? Mm -hmm. Yes, and you know how I feel about this, that in my profession and those that are that are similar, there's lots of, there's several different kinds of titles in the helping profession in the mental health world, um, but uh, the majority of them do not require one class about sexuality or any kind of training in sexuality to become licensed. This is terrible. It is troubling. It is just shocking that that is the case. And I've been advocating for years for that to change. And it's a hard thing to, um, to make uh, happen and to come to fruition. So do not assume that um, anyone in the mental health field does have an area of expertise to begin with, like that that's the case. Um, because they haven't been trained, including myself. I only had one class and I had to fight for that and find that in my schedule to get that and everything else I had to learn on my own and find my own training um, and my own expertise outside of an institution for it. Um, there are people who are under sex, sex therapy. There are other people who, are, who go under sexology uh, as well, that there, um, there are degrees that are absolutely sex uh, forward in it, but in general, they're not. Uh, so one, don't make the assumption. And then next is ask ask somebody. And the way the question that I like to ask is, I'm curious about your training. 
um, within the topic of sexuality. If you know what you are looking for in particular about sex, you know, in within the world and, and topic of sexuality, you can ask specifically about their training in that topic um, and their belief system in that topic. Uh, but sometimes we don't know exactly what we're asking and sometimes we don't know exactly what, what we're looking for. So I would also ask how much of your practice uh, is devoted in, in your clients. Does the topic of sexuality come into it, um, sex or sexuality, uh, and how they answer. Number one, their comfort level that you perceive is an important indicator. And, and then actually what they're at and what they're answering to. Um, and you want to have someone that sounds uh, sounds comfortable with the topic and not surprised that you're asking it. And two, that the answer that they give you um, feels from a place of comfort because they're used to being asked it or they have they know the answer themselves. Um, I, I also think that if they have a website, um, if they are on social media in any way, uh, through a Facebook page or their website or TikTok, um, Instagram, check it out and see if you're seeing anything that has to do with sexuality anywhere. If it's in their bio, if they have a flag, inclusive flag, if um, they have any posts that are about it. Now, one caveat I have to that is we are highly censored on social media platforms to say the word sex or anything that has to do with any kind of in that. So sometimes people shy away from it so they're not having their accounts taken down or they're not um, having any kind of censorship in it so it doesn't always mean that but if you see someone who is doing it then you know too that they are most likely going to have an inclusive attitude and then if they offer consults it would be what i would ask in the consult i would ask those questions just like i do for physicians i would say like how much do you care about my sexual health uh, that's a question that I ask. Um, how comfortable are you uh, prioritizing my sexual health? I ask that of, of providers. Um, it's one of those places. How comfortable do you feel uh, about speaking about my sexual life um, or about this particular topic? And, and trust your instinct on that. It's. Uh, I think I've I've shared this with you in the past, but I was actually going to use the example of even when I speak to a new practitioner, uh, whether that's a gynecologist or a primary care practitioner, I used anatomically correct terms. And if someone says, are you having any issues down there? That's a big red flag that indicates that if they are uncomfortable as a healthcare practitioner using the word vagina or vulva or breast or nipple or what have you, then that probably means they're going to be really uptight about asking questions about sexual health and sexual wellness. So I, I would imagine that, that you could also test those waters in the consultation if you introduce the concept of sexuality, sexual health, how comfortable are they discussing, you know, issues around sexual wellness. And if you get the body language, which is closed body language, remember the closed body language and the shifting in the chair and um, the, you know, of course, there are some other obvious signs, like the, uh, like the woman that looked down. She was a gynecologist, and she wanted to know whether I had a problem talking about all these things down there all day. <laughs> so we're, there's nothing on my floor. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing on my floor that I'm uncomfortable discussing. <laughs> 
Well, and we've talked about this. Yeah, I love those. I don't love the stories that happened, but I, I, I know the uh, importance of the stories that you're sharing. And again, like the medical community too hasn't been trained. It's just been off limits topics and in the professions that we are putting our trust in most. So be an advocate for yourself with that and listen to your intuition. And I actually literally today had a client tell me a story. Uh, she'd been working with a therapist for a couple of years and her and her husband were moving into a place um, in, in their sexual life and were seeking support and, and like opinions about what to do about this, this new uh, behavior that they were going to be embarking on. And the therapist said, I just think that's wrong. And that is an indication that um, there's your time with that person is done. Um, if someone is telling you what you're doing is wrong when you are in the exploration phase or you are not saying that it's wrong for yourself, uh, then leave. And, um, and I would recommend that highly that you shouldn't do the work of helping someone become inclusive and open. There was, um, <clears throat> there was an interesting article. It was directed at psychologists called Sex Positivity and Counseling Psychology. And it was, it was actually an introduction to sex positivity. Of course, I read it because I, was, I wanted to prepare for our discussion today, but it was interesting in the way that they described how counselors, psycho counselors in counseling psychology ought to approach different types of sexual proclivities and how they can reframe their thinking so as not to become judgmental. One of the examples that they used was BDSM and um, some of the practices um, that individuals who are into those types of behaviors may approach a psychologist, a counseling psychologist. And I thought that was fascinating that someone who was in the practice of psychology would have that sort of judgmental attitude but again we're humans so humans who haven't been properly sex educated we come with the baggage so it's important that if somebody that you're seeing comes with that sort of baggage it's probably not a good match mm -hmm. and i would ask about the competencies what is your competency what is your knowledge base what is your training what's your comfort level uh in speaking about this because i need this to be a safe place for me to explore and for me to find out uh, what feels right for me and what doesn't? Is this something that you've done? Is this something that you feel comfortable with? And, and we are bound in our ethical code to refer and, and to say when we have reached a bias or out of our scope of practice. And unfortunately, uh, most of our mental health field has its out sexualities out of the scope of practice. And for me, I think it's a huge part of almost everything that we're encountering. Even when someone's coming to you about talking about anxiety, if they're on anxiety medicine, it may, the medicine could have side effects that affect your sexuality and your, and your, uh, your relationship with your body. Um, and so if we're not able to speak about, you know, this could uh, make you have a difficulty having an erection, or this could change your desire to be sexually connecting at all. If, if that can't happen, uh, even though you may not presenting to the therapy session with a sexual need, you need to be able to feel comfortable um, with that topic. And you need someone that can say that to you and speak about it and um, and mourn uh, and and have empathy and ma and make it matter. You know, in on the intake form, if you're visiting a psychologist or a psychiatrist on the intake form, that could also be a big red flag, um, or it could be something that is encouraging 
So if there is some uh, information that, that this professional is seeking about your sexual health and wellness and your sexual activity, that's, I would think that would be a good sign. Yes. Yeah. And I don't want it to come off as very negative about even my own profession, because there are so many people who have done the extra work um, on themselves, their own sexuality, and have sought out um, extra training and certification. And there are some programs that are directly uh, focused on, on sexual matters that are doing great work in the world. Uh, so uh, we're out there. Um, and don't settle for less because your sexuality matters and being surrounded by people in your personal life and for the, the professionals that you're seeking to support, we should be surrounded by positivity. So the, the last topic and we, you know, we have a few minutes to discuss the last topic, which is the next generation and where does, where does that belong and this again there's probably some debate. So where does that belong? Does it belong at home? Does it belong in the school system? Does it belong in both? And what are the things that we can do that help the next generation to, to feel more comfortable in their sexuality and to become more sex positive? Mm -hmm. I, I, wish, I wish that sex positivity was more in the forefront of this of this controversial discussion, uh, then should sex education be here or not? Like I, I so appreciate the way you framed the question, and obviously, like it is, there is it's so polarizing, uh, and so I acknowledge that what I'm about to say isn't going to fit for everyone's values and, and opinions. Um, but research has shown for the people and communities and cultures that have access to sex positive education that there are. Fewer, fewer sexual violence incidences, there are fewer unwanted pregnancies, and that they even think, although this isn't a complete correlation yet, um, they, there's like musings and hypothesis that it also means that relationships are lasting longer and they're more fulfilling. Uh, and what is negative about that? <laughs> Just To me, it doesn't add up. Uh, if, if you're seeing those in other countries and other cultures, um, or the communities that have taken charge uh, in this way of making it sex positive. Sex positive does not equal lots and lots of sex. It doesn't. And in fact, the, the course that I teach revealed what I actually found, especially when I was doing it at a college campus, was that those that had access to the concept of sexual agency, which means that you know you have a right to say yes or no beyond sexual violence, but you get to check in with what your sexuality is on your own terms. You just need to do it with purpose and intention and knowing who you are. For those who have access to that skill skill set, their yeses often became so much more powerful. They didn't mean that they were more frequent. And in fact, a lot of them were saying no a whole lot more often and feeling good about that. Having the ability and the words and the confirmation and validation that they can say no, that is the come from of sex positivity. And I wish we were teaching a lot more about consent. I wish we were teaching a whole lot more about pleasure. I wish we were teaching a whole lot more about agency in our sex positive curriculum at all ages. I wish we were teaching kids at very young ages how to make decisions for themselves outside of sexual connection, because we have found that when, when an individual knows how to make a decision, then that changes a whole lot of how they're experiencing the world. 
world and that they're making better decisions that are based in in their soul and um, and things that are aligned for them. You put that into sexual context and we are also doing so much more healing and so much less trauma is happening. And why does that have to be outside of a sexual um, positive curriculum? I think it should be a huge part of it. How are you making this decision? And I, I know that there's a, a variance of, of that do children have the ability to make decisions for themselves and they haven't fully formed their brains or frontal lobe. And I understand that. And I've raised, I have a 23 year old son and I have seen poor decisions that have been made. So I get it. And I was there myself and I have a list of poor decisions too. Um, so I, I get it. We can't, we can't prevent them from doing all of this, but we can arm them with the skill of that. And one of the best things that I think is a part of um, parenting advice that I give everyone inside and outside of the, the concept and thought of sexuality is teach your kids how to make decisions, which is living with the consequences too of your other decisions and teach your kids that you trust them, that they have good judgment. And if their judgment or if their decisions have gone awry, that they can figure out how to be okay and that you can support them in that. That will translate to a very different sexual experience in their life, no matter what gender they are. And that's sex positive to me. And that should be happening in classrooms and schools and it should be happening in, in um, your private life too. But we also are dealing with people who weren't given that experience too. So you have to work on yourself and your journey and you have to work with if you are you know if you are uh, influencing children of any age um work with them also and I'll, I'll say this last thing like so here i am this is something that i am an expert in that i've done a lot of studying in and, and speak to people all over the world about so i have a lot of information uh i even have had times that i sat there like like asked my plant like what do i say back to this like you just don't know there is there's a rule book and there's not a rule book uh, about how to be a sex positive person when you're influencing other kids whether they're your own or other kids in your life um and and so i think also you have to give yourself the room to come back to any answer that you've given or any response that you've shown them or modeled that you didn't get it completely right and you come back to it again i think that's another beautiful thing to give people uh the education whether it's inside or outside of sexual connection um is sometimes you don't always get it right the first time so have the room to give to go back and say it again or do it differently um, and sometimes if the decision's already been made in your sexual life, then what the work is, is how do you make meaning of it? And how you make meaning of your sexual decisions and who you are as a sexual being is really um, potent and important. And I think it should also be a part of our sex positive education. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, um, it's always fascinating. It's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to have you as our guest. I learned so much from you uh, over these many months that we've been working together. And I hope that our listeners and viewers have felt the same way. But if you want more, 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 you should visit drjuliana.com. Uh, Dr. Julia. It's actually Dr. Dash because Dr. Juliana is in Romania and she's a dentist. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Dash Juliana.com. And Dr. Juliana is in Kentucky. So if you happen to live in the area, <clears throat> you may visit her in person. But there's always telehealth, and I'm sure she would be more than happy to do a consult virtually. So I'll encourage all of you that are looking for someone 
with her expertise and or that want to become more of an expert in this area to reach out to Dr. Juliana. And as always, it has been just a pleasure to have you as our guest. We thank you. We are very grateful. And to those that took the time to listen in this evening or this morning or midday, depending upon where you are viewing, uh, we thank you for your participation. And please stay tuned for more of the Love Mia Vita podcast, for more webinars. All of this brought to you by FemPharma Consumer Healthcare. Dr. Juliana, thank you. Be well. And to our listeners and viewers, please stay well, take care of yourself, and take care of each other. Thank you. Thank you.